For hundreds of years, treasure hunters and historians alike have been searching for El Dorado, the famed city of gold. Throughout the centuries, they've been looking for a city that supposedly is filled with gold and jewelry and riches beyond belief. And so they thought it was worth the effort to mount large campaigns and expeditions to look for El Dorado. Sadly, El Dorado has never been found. In fact, there was one case where in the 1540s, there was one conquistador who ordered hundreds of men to use buckets to try to drain a lake in Colombia. Of course, to no avail, the city of El Dorado was not found at the lake bed. If you think about it, all those expeditions in today's money would have cost hundreds of millions of dollars at the expense of the lives of thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people who were looking for the city of gold. Large swaths of Latin America was thought to have the city of gold, and the explorers pretty much looked up and down and still could not find it. Many died never finding their dream of El Dorado. You know, it's always disappointing when you set out to find something, but you don't find anything. Perhaps you and I know the feeling well. But there was a point in history where people set out looking for something, but found nothing. And finding nothing was the greatest thing to happen. In fact, it is the basis of our Christian faith. Let's take a look at this event. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24 as we take a look at verses 1 to 10. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 10. And we want to see how finding nothing turned out to be something wonderful. Reading from verses 1 to 3 of Luke chapter 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us it is Sunday, the first day of the week. And early in the morning, a group of women went out to lay spices on the body of Jesus. And so they went to the place where Jesus was buried. Now Jesus had just died on the cross on Friday, and his body had been taken down and buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. These women were going with the full intention of honoring the Lord. They wanted to prepare the spices and put it on his body. The Bible tells us in verse 1, they anticipated the body being there. They made preparations. When they arrived, they noticed that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. You know, I've often wondered why the women went that morning. Did they think that they would somehow get past the Roman guards or be able to roll away the heavy few-ton stone that was sitting at the entrance of the tomb? Perhaps they had a plan to sweet-talk the guards to help them push away that stone. I, I don't know. That's something I want to ask them when I get to heaven. But whatever the case, they went. 
they had a plan in mind that they were going to execute upon, which was to put on spices on the body of the dead Jesus. When they arrived at the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and they saw no Roman guards there, and the Bible tells us they went in. And note what verse 3 says. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The body wasn't there. Can you imagine at that moment, not fully realizing that the Lord Jesus had resurrected, they were disappointed. In fact, the next verse tells us they were puzzled, they were perplexed, they were confused. The plans that they had desired to execute upon was no more. They were disappointed, I believe. And that's how life is sometimes. We have a wonderful plan laid out. We are preparing for a certain outcome that we have in mind. And then suddenly it turns out to be completely different. We expect to find something, but instead we find nothing. That's how it is in life. We work hard in life hoping that perhaps somehow our educational achievement will give me the honor I crave and the status and a sense of accomplishment that I want only to find out that perhaps someone else got the break and someone else was honored. Or we set out in life thinking that if I work really hard and do everything right, then I will be successful, only to understand that perhaps I was a bit too naive. And that's not really how life works. It's not what you know and how hard you work to climb the corporate ladder. It's who you know. Or perhaps you think that If I have monetary success, it will bring me great joy and security in life. I will be able to enjoy my retirement the way I desire to enjoy my life. Only to realize that after you've accumulated all that money, you've worked so hard that now you have terminal cancer and the doctors have only given you a few months to live. It is in those times when you expect to find something but instead find nothing that you are greatly disappointed and it makes you question life. It makes you wonder if life is really worth living. The great expectations of our lives often fall far short of what we desire and we are left hopeless and without joy. My friends, if you feel like that, I'm here to encourage you because there is hope. Because in one of life's greatest truth, finding nothing instead of finding something gave these women, and it can give us life, victory, and joy. Because expectation is one thing, but sometimes in life we will come to understand that reality is so much better. Expectation is one thing we desire. In our minds, it's wonderful. But reality, which is not what we expect, could be so much better. Look at verses 4 to 5. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? The Bible tells us these women who were gathered inside the tomb, who were confused and 
puzzled why they could not find the body of Jesus as they had expected to find, as they were looking for it, that suddenly two men, these were angels, appeared to them. And of course, the appearance of two angels certainly would have caused the women to be afraid and they fell on the ground. And one angel said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? This angel's question hits it right on the nail. Why are you looking for someone who is very much alive in a place where dead people are? You see, they were in the burial grounds outside of the city of Jerusalem where dead people are laid to rest. But Jesus had resurrected. He was very much alive. He was very much living. And yet, here they were in a place where dead people are. And that was the point of these angels. A piercing question. What are you doing searching for the living among the dead? You see, it was the expectation of these women to find Jesus in a place of the dead. Of course, Jesus wouldn't be there. Again, a simple but profound truth because He is living. That's why they could not find Him. He isn't there. My friends, that's a wonderful truth about our Christian faith. We do not worship a dead Savior. We worship a living one. He died in our place, but He didn't stay dead. He lives, and His resurrection affirms that His death saves us from our sins. His death and resurrection gives us great hope. He is living. You see, from this question posed by the angels to the women, they were stressing that finding nothing was a good thing. You didn't want to find the body of Jesus. If Jesus' body is there, then He would not be living. You see, they were expecting death. But instead, the women found life. It's a great lesson for us. Number one, we learn that in Christianity, we are not to expect death because we are to look for life. Expecting death finding life. You see, the focus of our faith is about life. It's not about death. That's why Christianity does not celebrate a culture of death. We celebrate a culture of life. Every living being is important to God. He himself is alive. And therefore, our anticipation, our desire, is to live the rest of our life with the living Savior. There are certain cultures around the world that places a great emphasis on the dead and celebrating the dead. But Christians celebrate life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't honor those who have passed or we don't remember them. But the Bible is very clear of what the attitude and the outlook of a Christian should be. This is what Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Paul's encouragement to the Christians, do not sorrow as those who have no hope. There is hope because there is life. 
There is life because there is a living Savior. We celebrate life. In fact, the Scriptures remind us that in eternity, there is no more death. John writes these words in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be, note this, no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Death came because of sin. And death came upon all of us. But Jesus did away with spiritual death when He conquered the grave, when He rose again. That's why the angels were so adamant that He will not be found among the dead. He is with the living. Jesus' own words in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. No clearer words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Even though he dies physically, he will live eternally. He will not suffer spiritual death. The women were expecting death, but they found not a body. They found nothing. But that something and nothing which they found, which was so much better, was life. Expecting death, finding life. My friends, we as believers should celebrate life because our Savior is risen. We don't go worshiping Him in a tomb. There's no pilgrimage that Christians make to go see the body of Jesus because He is very much alive. We celebrate life. Now let's take a look at the first part of verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. The angels exclaimed and proclaimed these words, He is not here, but He is risen. The emphasis is, you are looking for the body of a dead person, expecting to find a dead Jesus, but He is very much alive. He is risen. Jesus was victorious over death. Because He is also the divine Son of God, God Himself who conquered death. Death could not keep Him from coming alive. A grave, a burial ground could not confine Him. And the angels proclaimed that He's not even here. He wasn't stuck in the confines of a tomb. Jesus broke out of the grave. He broke free by resurrecting. He made it. He is victorious. You know, if you think about it, there is no way to cheat death. No one escapes death. There is a finality to death. Up to this point in history, no person had beaten death. Death came to all. That's what makes this resurrection so amazing. Jesus Christ had died, genuinely died. But He came back alive and He conquered death. 
There's a prison in America, specifically in the state of Colorado, where the worst of America's criminals are held. It's the federal penitentiary called Supermax. It's nicknamed the Alcatraz of the Rockies. No one has ever escaped from this maximum security prison. It's located about two hours south of Denver, Colorado, in the high desert. Inmates are housed in a soundproof 7 by 12 foot cell for 23 hours a day in literally permanent lockdown with no contact with other inmates. Staff members who work in this prison are carefully vetted and have little direct contact with inmates so that they don't begin to feel sorry for them. The doors are made of steel and they are remotely controlled. Each cell contains a bunk, a desk, a stool, and a shelf made of concrete. So it's not like in the movies or the television show where the prisoners can use these pieces of furniture to plan their escape. These are cement slabs. They have a sink and a toilet made out of steel. Now inmates can see outside of their cells through a small window, but that window is three feet high and it's four inches wide. If someone hypothetically were to escape from Supermax, they would be famous. They would be famous. The man or the woman who escaped when no one else could escape. Now, if I were to ask you a question, for a prisoner who is in Supermax, is there a glimmer of hope that they would somehow escape? Is there a glimmer of hope? The answer is absolutely. As long as you are alive as a prisoner, you can pray that perhaps all the conditions are so perfect that every system and every redundant system in that prison fails, that you could somehow escape from Supermax. As long as you're alive, there's a glimmer of hope you can escape. But if I, what if I were to ask you, is there a hope for a dead prisoner to escape from Supermax? The answer, of course, logically is no, not a chance. Why? Because not only is this prison a holding place where no one's ever escaped, but you're dead. You can't even move. You're not alive. You can't even plan your own escape. I hope you see where I'm going with this. That is the condition of Jesus. He's not only entombed in the grave with a many-toned stone rolled in front of the only escape place. He was genuinely dead. There was no hope for someone to overcome the grave. But Jesus did overcome death and he rose from the grave. It's as if, let me put it into the context of Supermax, Jesus was in the Supermax prison cell and during the Friday evening check, the guards checked him and saw that he was dead. The prison doctor took his vital signs. There were no vital signs. And because no coroner was available over the weekend. They figured it would be best just to leave his body in that secure cell. 
Well, on Sunday morning when they came to check, they realized that the body was no longer there. They would surely sound the alarm. How, how would Jesus escape? Wait, he was dead. How? How could he move? And this is what makes the resurrection so amazing. It was an impossibility. And yet Jesus overcame that impossibility as the divine Son of God, God Himself, who was 100% human as well and 100% divine, He rose from the dead. And this is the cornerstone of our faith. It is that Jesus Christ did the impossible and conquered the grave, conquered death, claimed victory over it to show that His death on the cross was sufficient to save us. That's why in Christianity, song after song written speaks about this amazing act. One of them is written by Robert Lowry in 1874, that wonderful hymn, Christ Arose. He captures it beautifully. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. He was victorious over death. Songs throughout the centuries speak about this monumental act. In fact, in a contemporary song like Mighty to Save, again, the author writes it well, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So monumental was this act that it was a victory. He escaped death's clutches and proclaimed victory. And my friends, that is the victory you and I have. We have it because of Jesus. You and I do not need to live hopeless lives. We have victory even over death. Yes, we may die physically, but we will not die spiritually if we place our trust in Jesus as I talked about in our previous message, that death comes to all. That is one of the certainties of life. But because Jesus died and rose again and showed us that He can have victory over death, then one other certainty of life is that we can live like Him through His death and resurrection. You and I don't have to die for all eternity. We can live with the Savior. That's why... Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 57. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is mocking death. Oh, death, 
where's your sting? You couldn't get to Jesus because Jesus was victorious over you. Praise be to God. Now we come back to the significance of the angel's proclamation to the women. He is not here. He is risen. My friends, that is a proclamation of victory. The tomb couldn't contain Jesus. Death could not hold down Jesus. He was victorious. He is risen. You see, these women came to the tomb expecting a loss. Jesus had died. Death got to him. But instead, they found victory. You see, number two, in the Christian life, when one expects loss, they find victory. Expecting loss, finding victory. You know, Satan hates hearing about the redemptive work of Jesus that saves us through his death. And his resurrection shows he's victorious over him. Satan hates the blood of Jesus Christ and any mention of it, and he hates the mention of the resurrection of Jesus, which seals his defeat. Let me share with you a testimony after preaching the Good Friday message a few days ago, earlier this week, and sending the video to our one-person video editing team, Aileen, to put in the titles and to give different camera angles so that you don't only get the front view, but the left and the right view to keep you awake. She would do the edits and she would render, means make final the video to upload to YouTube. Now, in that Good Friday message, one of the most important points in the sermon was the statement where I say, how can that cross give us redemption? It's because of Jesus' shed blood. Well, when the video was prepared for final upload, and I was given that video to check, I caught that that phrase was missing. So before uploading, I messaged Aileen. I said, we're missing a very important statement. Maybe you accidentally cut that statement before you rendered the video. So she checked the master files, and she said, no, look, here it is, the final video. And she took a a short clip of what she had on her desktop with her phone and sent it to me, and there it was. That statement was there. But when it was rendered for final upload on YouTube, that phrase was missing. Now, while it can be a simple computer glitch that accounted for this missing sentence, I told Aileen, pray before you do the final rendering for uploading. Because spiritual warfare is very much real, and I've seen things like this happen before. Satan hates hearing about Jesus' shed blood, which defeated him, and he hates hearing about Jesus' resurrection, which puts his defeat as an exclamation mark. Praise the Lord for the victory that we have in Jesus' death and resurrection, and that's why that phrase made it into the final video. Jesus is victorious. The women were expecting loss and found victory. That nothing was really something, and that something was victory. 
expecting loss, finding victory. My friends, you and I today can celebrate victory because we have Jesus Christ in our hearts and we serve the living, risen Savior. Look at the second part of verse 6 to 7. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. The angels continued by reminding the women that what had happened was exactly what Jesus had told them. That he would die and be buried and and raised up on the third day. And it was then, verse 8 tells us, that they remembered what Jesus had promised Now, we're not completely sure why. Why they and pretty much all of the disciples and Jesus' followers had forgotten the words of Jesus, that he would die and resurrect. In fact, that was the primary emphasis of his teaching towards the second half of his ministry. Perhaps it was something just too hard to believe. Someone raising from the dead? Yeah, they heard Jesus' words, but they didn't quite believe So perhaps these women, in wanting to put spices on the body of Jesus, were a bit disappointed as they went, saddened of heart that they had to do this. They just couldn't believe that Jesus could rise again. It had been three days now. It had taken a long time. Wouldn't it have been great if Jesus had died on, on Friday and immediately rose from the dead. Oh, everyone would have believed. Everyone would have seen. He died on the cross of Calvary, and to the amazement of everyone, he rose again, right at that moment. But it didn't happen. They saw his body being taken down. They saw it being taken to the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And all day, Saturday, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so perhaps they became more and more disappointed and discouraged. And now on this third day, they had still gotten no news. So they went to do what was honorable, to put some spices on the body of Jesus. Disappointed, discouraged, that perhaps Jesus in their mind had not fulfilled the promise he made to them. But now the angels told these women, He is not here. He is risen. Exactly as Jesus had told you guys. And I can only imagine at that moment, the aha moment, as verse 8 tells us, and they remembered His word, that suddenly this disappointment and discouragement now turns into joy. Yes! Yes, He told us. That's right. He said three days. And it's Sunday, the first day of the week. He had risen. Part of that joy, I believe, was the joy of knowing that Jesus kept His word. That His promises to them had been fulfilled. And He was able to do the impossible. Let me give you an example so that I can try to put you into the shoes of these women and perhaps how they turn their disappointment into joy. 
Perhaps, let me give you an example. You're eight years old. And at the age of eight, uh, you told your dad one day, I would love to drive my own car, just like you, Daddy. And as a dad would encourage their child, dad says to you, don't worry. When you turn 21, I promise I will buy you a brand new car of your own that you can drive around. And so fast forward 10 years, you are 18 years old. You can legally drive. But as you receive your license, your dad didn't buy you a car. In fact, you have to share the family car. And then you turn 19, and you're still using the family car. He hasn't bought you a new one. Now, you enjoy driving, but the car isn't very nice. And then you turn 20. You've upgraded. You have part-time jobs. And so now you have purchased your own used car. It's not a great car, but you have a car. It's used. Now, you may at this point have forgotten that Daddy had promised you a car. Or perhaps there's a vague memory that many years ago, more than a decade ago, that Dad had promised you a car. Perhaps it was 21, you're not quite sure, but you're 20 now, and he hasn't bought you a car, and you weren't going to bank on a promise that Dad made to you when you were eight. You remember that Daddy mentioned something, but come on, you're an adult now. Why should you be disappointed? But you are. And then 21 comes rolling around the next year. And on your birthday morning, you happen to look outside the windows and you see a brand new car. You run out of your room and you say, Dad, whose car is that? And Dad, with a big smile, takes out a brand new set of keys and say to you, these are yours. The car belongs to you. Happy birthday. And you're in disbelief. And perhaps you're silent. And dad adds these words, remember, just as I promised when you were eight years old. Suddenly, your heart is filled with joy. The years of doubting the days of disappointments when each of those birthdays came rolling around and there was not a new car now gives way to joy and to elation. Dad remembers. And he kept his promise. I think this is what the women was feeling. A turning of disappointment to joy. And it had only been three days. Matthew, in chapter 28 Verse 6 of his gospel writes that the angels tell the women, He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Just as he said. That's the promise. You won't find a body. You will find nothing because nothing is part of the promise. Nothing is part of God's word spoken by Jesus himself. The reality is so much better than the expectation, 
even if the reality was nothing, not finding a body. You know, my friends, our generation, young and old, looks through the lenses of expectation versus reality. We have a lot of high expectations, and that's wonderful, but we also understand that reality is so-so. We see a large, juicy, crispy chicken leg or a giant, delicious hamburger being shown on commercials, and we know that while that is our expectation based on media and advertisement, the reality is that that chicken isn't as crispy, it isn't as big, that burger isn't as big, it isn't as fresh as it looks when we actually order it. The beautiful pictures on Instagram of those perfect vacation spots Tranquil, serene, no one's there. That's the expectation, but when we get there, we realize that reality isn't so great. That the place that was pictured as being so serene and so tranquil is overrun with tourists. It's actually not as clean. It was the filters on the camera that made it look clean or the perfect family we see being portrayed on social media, always having a great time, especially during the quarantine, doesn't really represent the reality of the constant fighting and bickering that's happening every day. Our generation is smart enough, I believe, that we understand expectation versus reality, and we know that our expectations will not come to fruition because we have prepared ourselves not to get too disappointed in understanding that reality isn't so great. But you know, that's the wrong thinking, especially when it comes to the Christian life. The reality of the Christian life is so much better than the expectation. Because the reality of the Christian life is foundationed upon a resurrected Savior who really rose from the dead. It wasn't just an expectation that Jesus would rise or the hope and the earnestness that He will fulfill His promise. It is the reality that He rose again just as He said. Therefore, whatever He says and whatever He's promised will come true. Reality is great. What is our expectation as a Christian for that reality? These women went in with disappointment that the reality wasn't what they expected, but they soon discovered that the reality of finding nothing brought them great joy. Here's my point in all of this. The reality of a risen Savior undergirds the very foundation of how we can find joy in this life. The joy that comes from knowing that the Word of God is true and will always be kept. Because this hardest of all promises to believe came true. If Jesus promised that He would rise from the dead, which He did, 
then all the other promises he made surely would come true as well because for sure this one would be the hardest one. And so all the promises he makes, we should realize that it is not only expectation, it is and will be reality. The promise that he will always be with us. The promise of provision. The promise of protection. That's why from this point on, when the men and women of the early church and in the centuries to follow experience the realities of the resurrected Savior, their lives were transformed. And they went out with boldness and they went out with joy. Their attitude was one of joy because, again, of the resurrected Savior. Expecting disappointment, finding joy. We as Christians can celebrate a joyful existence, a joyful life, because we have a God who is a promise keeper. The nothing that these women found was the nothing that was because of a promise kept. I hope you see that. May joy fill our hearts as we remind ourselves that we worship and live for a risen, living God. Look at verse 9 to 10. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. The Bible tells us when the women left, they were so excited and filled with joy. All the other gospel writers speak of the attitude of joy when one comes to the realization that the Savior lives. They did not find what they had set out to find. They found nothing. But that nothing was so much better. They found life. They found victory. They found joy. Because the Savior's body wasn't there. He was alive. My friends, when you expect death but find life, when you expect disappointment only to find joy, when you expect loss but find victory, what is your response? Of course, it is naturally to tell others. That's why the Bible tells us in verses 9 to 10, and they excitedly went and told the 11 disciples and the others who were gathered with them. What were they telling them about? They told them about the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Their message? We found nothing. Praise God. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. My friends, I don't know where you are at this moment in your life. You may be discouraged, disappointed. You may be searching for something. And this quarantine has messed that search up. I don't know where you are in this life. But whatever you're searching for, 
I hope you will look for the Savior, the risen Savior. Because when you find the resurrected Christ, there you will find joy. There you will find victory. There you will find life. Can you also exclaim this weekend, we find nothing. There is no tomb of Jesus we go visit. He is alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can acknowledge that we serve a risen Savior. May you challenge and motivate all those who are searching for something to find nothing in this life that they're searching will find something only in you. And in you, they will find joy, they will find victory, and they will find life. May you challenge us as we serve a risen Savior to proclaim the good news of Jesus to all who are in our spheres of influence so that we can share for men and women can find victory, joy, and life. Thank you, Lord, for conquering the grave. Thank you for doing the impossible. Our hearts are filled with excitement because we have a purpose in how we are to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.